You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. busiest time on US 19, you're probably going to die. And hopefully you're saved, but you're stupid. The first thing you're going to hear when you get to heaven is, why do you do such a stupid thing? You know. But if you're walking in the will of God, if you're walking in the will of God, then no authority has power over you without God's permission. Pilate said to Jesus, don't you realize I have the power to crucify you or to set you free? And Jesus said, you would have no power over me if it were not given you. When you're walking in the will of God, there's truly no reason to fear anything. You're protected and headed to the place that God wants you to be, the best possible place for you. Pastor Danny challenges you today to walk in the will of God and assures you that if you do so, you'll not have to worry about a single thing. You'll simply need to maintain the path that He set before you and remain committed to growing in your relationship with Him. Though it will be difficult, it's the best thing that you can do. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, as he continues his message, Courage and Commitment to the God of Heaven. exactly the state of mind of Nebuchadnezzar here. If you just take a peek, just look ahead just for a moment. We're coming back to Daniel 3. But if you look at Daniel chapter 4, Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, Neb goes out on his balcony and here's what he declares. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He's acting like a God. And in many people's eyes, he is a God. You say human beings can be gods? Let me just give you Psalm 82, verses 6 and 7. Psalm 82, 6 and 7. Unfortunately, the Jehovah's Witnesses try to use that section of Scripture and prove that there are created gods with a little g and that Jesus is a created God with a little g. But if you just read the text very carefully, It says in verse 6 of Psalm 82, God says, you are gods. You say you are gods, but then it says, but you'll die like mere men. Some people made Elvis a god. He's the king. No, he's not. (laughs) Jesus is the king. He may be the king of rock and roll, but he's not the king. Elvis died. Why? Because he's not a god. Did I just offend some Elvis fans? I mean, it got really quiet. Back to the text, Daniel chapter 3. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You just love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you really know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you really want to live a committed life, you love these guys. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. 
If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, now I don't know which one's speaking for the other two, but when this one said that, the other two are probably going, what? What do you mean, what if he does not? What do you mean, what if he does not? Even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Now, I don't know if you understand and appreciate what's happening here. Neb gave them the jobs they have. He's the one that promoted them years ago and gave them positions in, in the government. And now they're standing and saying, no, look, you know, <laughs> we're not going to bow. That's the kind of commitment they have. Everybody else is bowed. Everybody else is bowed. Listen, when everybody else bows and you don't, Everybody notices. There's no place to hide when everybody else is bowing and you're the only ones that aren't bowing. It's very clear who's the real deal and who's not. These guys are the real deal. We want you to know, O king, we're not going to bow. Isn't it interesting? I thought Neb hired them and now he's going to fire them. I thought you'd like that. That's an original. Even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Verse 19, the Nebuchadnezzar was furious. You don't talk to the king like that. Furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's like, I gave you your jobs. And his attitude toward them changed. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wow. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. But this is where the story gets really good. Neb's mad. They're tied up. Throw them into the fiery furnace. And then, verse 24, not a fairy tale, really happened. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king, it was three. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth, he looks like a son of the gods. Well, you're close. He's the son of God. It doesn't tell us specifically, but if you're a betting person, you throw your money that this is the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, you find him throughout the Old Testament. You find him receiving worship at times. That gives you a clue that it's not just a normal angel. The angel of the Lord is Christ. Before he became Jesus, he's still God. He's Christ. It means anointed one. And he's referred to time and time again in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. And he's with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace and he'll be with you whatever fiery trial you face now come on now I got a powerpoint before we're done but this is not on powerpoint but most of you know it and here's what God tells us he says I will never 
leave you nor forsake you. Let me say it again. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Can you say that with me on the count of three? Say it loud. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now I'll count to three. One, two, three. Say it. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now I want to give you an interesting twist on the story. And I don't know if you've thought of this in regard to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't know God was going to save them. They thought they were going to die. You know, sometimes it's easier to die for the Lord than to live for the Lord. If I literally die for the Lord, then I die, however that means. I throw in a fiery furnace, I get my head chopped off by the Muslims or whatever, however I go, you know. But once you're dead, you're alive with Jesus. Sometimes it's harder to live than it is to die. I don't think they were, but, you know, if you really had the mind like the Apostle Paul, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And they're walking around like, well, we're not dead. We're not even hurt. We feel fine. As a matter of fact, I kind of like this fire. And they didn't die because God was with them and he wanted to take them through the fiery trial because he has more for them in this life. Look at verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Neb's getting a clue. He's back to where he was 16 years ago now. Servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fiery furnace, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. You say, how in the world can that happen? He's God. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree, (laughs) listen to this, I decree, that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into a pile of rubble. Man, has the story shifted. For no other God can save in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Wow, they got a promotion. Now you read the story and you go, well, man, if I got to go in a fiery furnace, I want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who doesn't? Except, again, if God had chosen to take their lives, they'd be in heaven now. They wouldn't have to deal with Nebuchadnezzar. They wouldn't have to deal with the temptations of Babylon. They wouldn't have to deal with the issues of fear that all of us face. Courage. Not just courage. Courage for the Lord. These guys. I want to give you several thoughts from the text, from the story. Did you know God wants us to consider the cost of commitment? God's not trying to lure us in deceptively, and then once he gets us, now I'm going to show him what it's really going to cost. No, 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 no. He wants us to know ahead of time. You know, every time the Israeli army was to go out to battle, in the Scriptures, God tells us that before they go out to battle, and you find it in Deuteronomy chapter 20, for the sake of time, I can't turn to all these Scriptures, but I'll tell you what's there. The priest would go out, and he would stand before the army, and he would say, okay, if any of you are engaged to be married and you're concerned that you're going to die and somebody else is going to marry your fiancé and that's where your mind's going to be in the battle, just go home. 
If any of you just bought a house and you haven't had time to really dedicate it and get settled in the house, and all you're going to be thinking out about on the battlefield is your house and getting it settled, then if that's where your mind's going to be, go home. And then he would say, if anybody's afraid, faint-hearted, anybody doesn't have the courage to go out and face the enemy in the name of God, just go home because your fear will affect your comrades. And we don't need anybody retreating. And God gave him an option. So if you're going to be thinking about the things of this life and that's where your mindset is, just, just go home. Just go home and do the things of this life, you know. Or if, you, if, you're, if you're afraid and not willing to step in there and face the enemy, then just go home. In Judges chapter 7, the wonderful story of Gideon, who was a coward himself, but God called him anyway to get him to face his fear. And thank God he did. Not easily, but he did. God said, go out and get your army. 32,000 Israelites come and say, we're going to fight against the Midianites with you. Well, the Midianites have an innumerable army. And he thinks 32,000, well, at least we got 32,000. God says, no, that's too many. You go tell those 32,000, anybody afraid and want to go home? You can go home. Guess what? 22,000 took God up on his offer. Then he whittled it down to just 300. In Luke chapter 14, it says that large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He's got a big church. I don't know if you realize, you study the life of Jesus He's not looking for quantity. He wants everybody to be saved. But he's not changing the rules just to get more people in. He's not changing the guidelines and lowering the standards. He's looking more for quality. He wants everybody to be saved, but you come on his terms or you don't come at all. And he turns to the crowd. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You can't get more plain than that. And let me tell you something. It ain't seeker sensitive. It's right there. It's going to cost you your life. Are you willing to give up your life? You say, well, I don't know. Listen, you know if you're willing to give up your life literally by how you live now. And how you're living now determines whether you would really give your life. God wants us to know. He wants us to know ahead of time. There's a cost involved. It's going to cost you your life. Your priorities are going to change. Your values are going to change. If you're really going to be worth your salt and you're really going to follow Jesus. And he wants us to know. He'd rather one person, one person make a commitment and be all in than 5,000 be half-hearted and wish you was. All of us are capable, even after making that initial commitment, all of us are capable of failure in our commitment to Christ. And if I ask a show of hands, anybody ever failed in courage for the Lord, my hand would be the first one up. Passover meal before the cross. Jesus says, all of you are going to fall away. No, we're not. Peter says, Lord, they might, but I'm not. He says, I'll go to prison. I'll even die. I tell you the truth, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you'll deny that you know me. No way! And Peter begins to argue with the Lord. No, you're wrong. All of them failed. This is his starting team. <laughs> These are the choice guys that have been with him three years, night and day. Everybody knows what it is to fail. I want you to say this because it's so true. I want you to say this when you're ready. Here we go. Let's say it together. 
If we are walking in the will of God, no authority has any power over us apart from divine permission. I want you to think about that. Hopefully it will encourage you. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. He stands up in the synagogue, and they're amazed at him until he says something. He speaks truth that offends them. It's truth about them. And when he offends them, they drive him out to the brow of the hill where the town was built, and they're going to push him off. They're going to kill him. And you know what it says? He walked right through the crowd. You go, how in the world did he do that? They got him cornered on the hill. They're going to push him off, and somehow he just walks through the crowd. You go to John's Gospel, chapter 10. Several times they got him. They're going to kill him. Chapter 10, John's Gospel, verse 39. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. It doesn't give us the details of how he did that. You go back to John chapter 8, verse 59. Now they got him cornered again. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself. How did he do that? Slipping away from the temple grounds. Now, if you're wondering, John chapter 7, verse 30 makes it absolutely clear. I want you to see this. John chapter 7 and verse 30. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Here it is. Here it is. Because his time had not yet come. Did you hear what I just said? Because his time had not yet come. Now, if you're stupid and you say, well, God will protect me, and you walk out at the busiest time on US 19, you're probably going to die, and hopefully you're saved, but you're stupid. The first thing you're going to hear when you get to heaven is, why do you do such a stupid thing? You know? But if you're walking in the will of God, if you're walking in the will of God, then no authority has power over you without God's permission. Pilate said to Jesus, don't you realize I have the power to crucify you or to set you free? And Jesus said, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from heaven. Paul the apostle God told him he's going to testify in Rome. On the way to Rome, they have a shipwreck. They end up on an island called Malta. It's raining. It's cold. They make a fire. Viper comes out of the brushwood, latches onto Paul's arm, and the islanders are going, this guy must be a terrible criminal because the gods have got him. And they wait as he shakes the viper off into the fire, goes back to the popcorn, and nothing happens. He doesn't die. Why? Because his time is not up yet. His ministry is not fulfilled yet. And so it doesn't matter if Viper, Herod, Rome, doesn't matter who it is. And might I remind you, don't be stupid, be careful, but COVID-19 can't touch you apart from God's will. Don't live in fear. I love what President Trump said. I love what President Trump said. Don't let COVID-19 rule your life. You're a child of God. You're a child of the most high God. And while we're not to be foolish and test the Lord, if you're walking in the will of God, eh, no authority got a power over you without God's divine permission. We need courage. We need confidence. And a lack of courage will cause you to forfeit your witness for Christ. Or worse, or worse, what's worse? Did you know it takes courage to receive Christ as Lord and Savior? In the list in Revelation, After the final judgment and all those who are saved will go into eternity, wonderful, blissful eternity with Christ, and all those who are lost will be forever separated from Christ. 
God gives a list of the characteristics of those who are lost. You know the first thing he says? The first thing he says there, and the cowardly. The cowardly. Listen, the people with the most courage are Christians who will stand in Babylon. It's the world system who will stand and refuse to bow and refuse to give in and refuse to be adulterated by Babylon's temptations. And if you're worth your salt, listen, they notice that you're different, and they ought to know why, because it's the God you serve, because it's the Jesus you follow. We ought not to be arrogant. We ought not to know. Some Christians misrepresent God and try to, you know, just shove Jesus up down people's throat. Don't be like that. But don't give in, and you stand, and you stand firm, and you stand strong. You stand with courage. Courage is required to receive Christ as one Savior. And then courage is required to live for Christ on a daily basis. Courageous, committed believers, guess what? They're not wishy-washy. They're not wishy-washy. Not half-hearted, not lukewarm. We want you to know, O King, our God's able to save us. But if he does not, we will not bow. That's courage. That's commitment. Courageous believers encourage others. Paul said in the things he went through and the things he endured for Christ, he said, because of his faithfulness and his courage, other believers have also been encouraged to speak the word fearlessly and to live courageously in this life. Now, I want you to really understand as we close it, courage is not an absence of fear. doesn't mean that fear is not there. <laughs> it means you just don't give in to fear. Courage is a willingness to suffer despite fearful circumstances, despite fiery trials. The Oxford Dictionary definition of courage is this, the ability to disregard fear. doesn't mean that fear is not there. It means you don't give in to fear. Oh, Lord, I'm afraid. Help me. And then you take a step forward. Oh, Lord, I'm afraid. Help me. And then you speak whatever it is God has you to speak. You don't back down. You don't give in. You don't cower. I love what Oswald Chambers said, and I want us to say this. Come on, let's say it together. You ready? Here we go. To choose to suffer means something is wrong. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. A fellow named Jim Elliott, he's become well-known in Christian circles, and he and four other missionaries were killed by the very people they were trying to reach, the Aka Indians of Ecuador. But through their death, and especially Jim Elliott, who was the main leader, through his death, he inspired so many people to go to foreign lands and carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he inspired so many people to give up everything, even if God doesn't call you to a foreign country to live where we are and to live this life with courage and the kind of commitment that says, I'm willing to die. And the truth of my willingness to die is seen in how I live. And Jim Elliott made a statement that has now become well known. And this is the last, but say this with me. And God help us to really mean this. Are you ready? Here we go. Ready? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. One more time. He is no fool 
who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. Daniel found himself in a place of being the odd man out when he was in exile in Babylon, a pagan land. But Daniel didn't let the ways of those around him change who he was and what he believed in. He still held strong to his faith in the Lord. Have you ever found yourself being the odd one out for what and who you believe in? Learn from Daniel. Don't let others get between you and God. People come and go, but God remains faithful. If you'd like to hear this teaching from the book of Daniel again or hear more from Pastor Danny, visit our website at ccfstpete.church. Just look under the resources tab and click on teachings. You can also connect with us through social media. Look for links to Facebook, Instagram, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you'll be notified as soon as we upload new videos. We would also like to invite you to join our Bible reading plan. Also under the resources tab at ccfstpete.church. If you're looking for a church, we'd be happy to meet you at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. All the information you need is at ccfstpete.church, along with links to join us through the live stream. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for today's edition of The Living Word.